Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a great blessing that we can be here again together to join in worship of our Trying God. We extend a warm welcome to all of you who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Just the one announcement this afternoon, our sister Kaylee DeBoer has requested an attestation to the Emmanuel Canadian Reformed Church in Edmonton. And this afternoon the worship service will be led by our brother Reuben Zanman. Before we commence the worship service, let's sing together from hymn 74, we'll sing verse 4. receive the greeting of the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In response to God's greeting, let us sing together Psalm 122. It's a wonderful psalm speaking of the pilgrim's joy in coming into the presence of the Lord. Let us then remain standing and together with the Church of All Ages, make confession of our Catholic, undoubted Christian faith with the singing of the Apostles' Creed as we have it set to music in hymn one. Thank you. 
Let us now pray to God and ask God for his blessing over this worship service. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we praise you, for you are the Lord of our lives. You know all things. You see all things. You are all-powerful and eternal, and your majesty and your glory are awesome and beyond our comprehension. Lord, you have given us a glimpse of your majesty and the greatness of your name through your word and through creation around us. And we are in awe at even a glimpse, and we praise you because you are worthy of all our honour and praise. We thank you, Father, for the words of the hymn we could just sing. Thank you for the joy that we can experience as we come into your presence this hour to worship you. A joy shared over the centuries by those who love you and want to worship you. And we pray that as we raise our voices united in song, we may indeed experience a close-knit unity of faith and relationship. We give you thanks and praise, dear Lord, for the covenant relationship we can have with you. We thank and praise you that in this relationship, you desire us to have communion with you. You want us to draw near to you and to have fellowship with you. Lord, while we are thankful that we can be in your presence, there are also some who choose not to honour you in worship, who prioritise other things instead of gathering with your people. And we ask, Lord, that you would redirect their hearts, that they would see the gathering together with your people to worship you as the rich blessing that it is. And we also pray for those who cannot be here and who would love to be here. Comfort them and surround them with your love and care, whatever their circumstance is. Dear Father, we ask that you would indeed forgive us for the many sins that we do commit again each day. We confess that we are sinners and that we are in need of your grace each day again. If left to our own devices, we find new and creative ways to keep sinning. And we ask, therefore, that you would fill our hearts and lives with your spirit so that we may walk closely with you, that we would seek to do what is right and overcome the influence of sin in our lives. As we consider this afternoon the gift you have given us in election and the assurance of our election, we ask for your blessing over us in this hour of worship, that the gospel message may also be a blessing and that we can have a deeper appreciation of how rich we are and that we would be encouraged to better pursue a life of fellowship together with you. We ask, dear Lord, that you would keep sin and distraction from us this afternoon. Please bless us in this hour of worship and please grant that we would do so with sincerity and that our hearts would be filled with a genuine gratitude and love for you. Please help us to give expression to that love through all the elements of our worship this afternoon. The songs that we sing, the gifts that we give, and the prayers that we offer. Please do all this for Jesus' sake, and it is in his name that we pray. Amen. This afternoon's sermon was prepared by Reverend Wes Bradenhoff, minister of our sister church in Launceston. And the sermon looks at chapter 1 of the Canons of Dort, and particularly articles 12 and 13, which deals with election and our assurance through election. Let's read together first, though, from our Bibles, and we will turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, and we'll read together from the verses 27 to 49. You can find this reading on page 1025 of your guest Bible. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. 
To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great.
As I mentioned earlier, the sermon has as its theme election and the assurance that we experience as a result of our election. And the first head of Doctrine of the Canons of Dort is entitled Divine Election and Reprobation. And Articles 12 and 13 specifically deal with the assurance of election and the value of that assurance. Let's turn together in our book of praise this afternoon for our confessional reading. Canons of Dort, Chapter 1, Articles 12 and 13, which we find on page 567 of the book of praise. Article 12, the assurance of election. The elect in due time, though in various stages and in different measure, are made certain of this, their eternal and unchangeable election to salvation. They attain this assurance, however, not by inquisitively prying into the hidden and deep things of God, but by observing in themselves with spiritual joy and holy delight the unfailing fruits of election pointed out in the word of God, such as a true faith in Christ, a childlike fear of God, a godly sorrow for their sins, and a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Article 13, the value of this assurance. The awareness and assurance of this election provide the children of God with greater reason for daily humbling themselves before God, for adoring the depth of his mercies, for cleansing themselves, and for fervently loving him in turn, who first so greatly loved them. It is therefore not at all true that this doctrine of election and the reflection on it makes them lax in observing the commands of God or falsely secure. In the just judgment of God, this usually happens to those who rashly presume to have the grace of election or idly and boldly chatter about it but refuse to walk in the ways of the elect. After the reading of the sermon, we'll sing together from Psalm 56, the verses 4 and 5, a psalm which we see that our God sees and knows and will account for everything. And this assurance leads David to trust in the Lord and to give him praise. Beloved congregation of Christ, are you sure of your election? Is that a question you struggle with? There was a time when a good number of reformed people did wrestle with that. In fact, it was almost a given that everyone would or should struggle with it. If you didn't question whether you were elect, others in the church might think you arrogant. It became a mark of humility to doubt and to wonder about your election. Today, people talk about virtue signalling. You let everyone know about your virtue through certain signals. Well, there was a time you would signal your virtue by claiming to be uncertain about your election. And perhaps there are some in our church that are genuinely uncertain when they shouldn't be. And it is my hope that this sermon will help you gain the assurance that you ought to have. However, what is more likely in our circles is that we go in the opposite direction and we assume that election is a given for everyone in our church. So long as you've been baptised, so long as you're a part of the covenant, so long as you're a member of the church, 
you can be sure you're elect. I suspect that's the more common way of thinking these days. In that way of thinking, assurance of election is based on our baptism, on our place in the covenant, or on our church membership. And it has nothing to do with Christ. It has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with personal faith or the fruits of that faith. Listen to me carefully. I will make this clear right from the start. There is a presumptuous assurance of election, a false assurance. If you are basing the certainty of your election on your church membership or on your baptism, that's presumptuous and even worse, it's unbiblical. The canons of Dort give us the biblical teaching on the assurance of election. The historical Arminians taught that it is presumptuous for anyone to be assured of their election. The followers of Arminius taught that it's arrogant for you to believe that you were chosen by God from before the foundation of the world. That's because there is always the possibility that you might fall away from the Christian faith. You can persevere, you have the ability, but you can't know for sure if you will. You just don't know. So, as a result, you can't be sure. The canons of Dort address that wrong teaching, but they also address the wrong idea that we should be sure of our election if we're living like the devil. The canons correct us if we're thinking we're elect when we really shouldn't be thinking that. This afternoon, we'll learn about the assurance of election and we'll look at this under the following three points. The reality of assurance, the means of assurance, and the purpose of assurance. Is the assurance of election a possibility? Is it possible to be sure? Well, the canons of Dort in Article 12 answer that it is. Not only is it a possibility for elect believers to be sure, it's also a reality. Elect believers are made certain of their eternal and unchangeable election to salvation. Notice that they are made certain. That tells us that this is something that God does in the hearts of the elect. Just like he gives salvation as a gift and faith as a gift, so he also gives us assurance as a gift. It's something that comes from God. But also notice that assurance comes in due time. What that means is that a believer could be lacking in assurance for a period. It can happen that a Christian wonders and struggles for a time and only later is made certain of his or her election. Maybe it was a lack of understanding in some aspect of election. The Christian needed to be taught something that had been missing in their understanding in their faith. Some years down the road, they are taught whatever it is that was missing, and the pieces all fall into place. Or maybe it was a lack of maturity and an inability to understand something that had been taught. Over time, they grow in maturity and become able to understand whatever it was that was keeping them from assurance. Whatever the case may be, the passage of time eventually brings certainty about election. Article 12 also speaks about the assurance of election 
coming in various stages and in different measure. That assurance doesn't come instantly with every person. It doesn't come to the same degree with every person. What we're confessing here is the reality that there can be, and there are, a variety of spiritual experiences among believers. In the past, there have been those who have argued that everyone has to experience their faith and their salvation in exactly the same way. If you haven't experienced it in that way, then they might even go so far as to argue that you're not really saved, that you're not really a Christian. However, the reality is that not everyone experiences salvation with some great crisis or drama. That includes the assurance of election. People experience that assurance differently. Every person is different, and every Christian is different. For example, the one person is brought up in a solid Christian home, discipled as a Christian from her youngest days, and can never recall a time when she didn't really believe in Jesus Christ. The assurance of election isn't a problem for this person. She's never struggled with it. She has a quiet, confident certainty that she is God's child, chosen by grace before creation. That assurance has just always been there for as long as she can remember. And that's fine, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, that's a great blessing. But then there's that other person. He was brought up in a nominal Christian home. Sure, the family went to church, but they didn't take God seriously. There was no Bible reading at home. There were no family devotions. The parents didn't teach their kids how to pray. Christianity was just something that you did on Sundays. However, in his late teens, this young man heard the gospel preached as if he'd never heard it before. He had heard it before, but it had never registered. And then suddenly it did. He suddenly became alive to God, aware of his sin, conscious of his need to personally trust in Jesus Christ. Shortly afterwards, he heard about election and really understood what it meant for the first time. Then he began to really wonder, am I one of the elect? How can I know for sure? How can I know that I won't fall back into being a nominal church member just along for the ride? It's only over some time that he comes to understand that there are good grounds for a true Christian to be confident in his election. And he goes through stages to get to that point. So you have two people who are both members of the same church, but they have very different experiences with election and their certainty of it. Others will have still different experiences with election. This is the way things are, and there's nothing wrong with it. God works with different people in different ways and at different times. It's something we observe in life, but we also see it in scripture. We can compare Paul's dramatic experience of salvation on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9 with Timothy's upbringing with the Christian mother and grandmother who discipled him as we can read in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. They're different and God works with different people in different ways. And so we can't go and insist that everyone has to be at the same place 
at the same time when it comes to the assurance of election. The main point in the first sentence of Article 12 is that assurance is not only attainable, it's also a reality. For true Christians, God will give the confidence that his love has been set on you before there were stars in the sky. God will assure you that you were included in his unchangeable decree of election. Now God has provided means by which we may attain this assurance. There is a way he has given through which we can experience this confidence in our hearts. It doesn't come from inquisitively prying into the hidden and deep things of God. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are secret things belonging to God, and there are revealed things belonging to us. The exact content of God's decree of election is secret. God has revealed that he has a decree of election, but he has not published the names included in that decree. There is no way for us to access that. People have tried to inquisitively pry into God's secret things. They've tried through mystical techniques like chanting mantras, They've tried to escape this plane of reality and get into God's mind so that they can access God's secret things. But scripture teaches us to respect what God has revealed and what he has not revealed. He has put limits on his revelation and we have to respect them. So forget about inquisitively prying into the hidden and deep things of God. That's a non-starter. We need to turn to God's word. In our reading from Luke 6, Christ spoke about trees and their fruit. He said in Luke 6 verse 43 that good trees don't bear bad fruit, nor do bad trees produce good fruit. It's a simple principle. You know the tree from its fruit. Those who are God's elect will inevitably produce the fruit of God's elect. If the fruit of God's elect is not there, then the question arises of whether election is a reality for that person. Jesus spoke in a similar way in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. He told the Jewish leader that you know the presence of the wind from its effects. Similarly, you can tell the presence of the Holy Spirit from his effects. If the Holy Spirit is present in a person, you'll know it. What kind of people have the gift of the Holy Spirit in their hearts producing spiritual fruit? The elect. The f if the fruit of the Spirit is present, the Spirit is present. And if the Spirit is present, election is real. And this is how the canons say we can attain the assurance of election. It's by self-examination. It's by observing ourselves, carefully considering our lives. Scripture tells us to do this in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 where we read, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Look at your life. Do you see the unfailing fruits of election? 
Let's go through these fruits right now. Examine yourself right now for the fruits of election. For example, do you have a true faith in Christ? Do you see your great need for a saviour? Do you see your sinfulness and the holiness of God and flee to the cross? Do you rest from any ideas of your own righteousness and place your trust entirely in Jesus Christ? Is Jesus your only hope for life and death? Another unfailing fruit of election is the childlike fear of God. Do you have great respect and reverence for your Father in heaven? Do you aim to take him seriously in your life, in every single aspect of your life? Are you concerned about offending and displeasing him? The next thing mentioned in Article 12 is a godly sorrow for sin. And scripture distinguishes between ungodly and godly sorrow for sin. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly sorrow, grief is sorrow that you got caught. You got embarrassed by your sin. Your pride was hurt. Ungodly sorrow for sin is all about you. Godly sorrow is about God. Godly sorrow is sorrow that your sin has offended God and displeased him. Godly sorrow involves true repentance, true turning from sin, a true change of heart about sin. So, do you have a godly sorrow for sin? Do you hate your sins because of what they do to God and your relationship with him? Do you want to take your sin and spit on it because it's so destructive and blasphemous? That's a fruit of election. Last of all, there's a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are you eager to learn what is right and pleasing to God? Are you humble and teachable when it comes to growing in a Christian walk of life? Do you want to grow in reflecting Christ in your life? Do you have the desire to honour God by increasing in Christian maturity and holiness? Loved ones, if you can answer yes to these questions, God's word says that you can definitely be sure of your election. If you've answered yes to these questions, you're a Christian and you're one of God's elect. Okay, but what if there were a few of those questions where you had to be honest and say, well, no. Or what if there were some questions where you had to say, well, not always. Then I have another question for you. Do you wish it were different? For instance, perhaps many of us would have to say there isn't always godly sorrow over sin in our lives. And I'll be the first to admit that that's certainly true for me. At times I do. But there are also times where that godly sorrow is either not there or it's been diluted. It's been watered down. What about you? If you're honest, I imagine you would say something similar. But here's the thing. Do you wish it were different? I do. I wish I could be more consistent in having a godly sorrow over sin. 
Why would I wish it were different if I didn't have the Holy Spirit creating that desire in me? Isn't the desire for it to be different a gift of God's Spirit to his elect? Isn't that desire then also a fruit of election? Yes, it is. So even if your answers to those questions are not all consistently yes all the time, if you see that and it bothers you and you wish it were not that way, then be encouraged. It doesn't mean you're among the reprobate. It means you're a battling elect child of God along with the rest of us. You too can have assurance. You can and you should. One more thing on this point. The fruits of election are not described for us in order to examine others. The point here is to examine yourself. We can have personal assurance of election, but we cannot look into the hearts of others and have assurance or not about someone else's election. In the church, we use what is called the judgment of charity. If our fellow church members profess Christ as their saviour, and are living a Christian life, we take that at face value. We accept them as Christians. We don't entertain questions about their election and whether God has actually written them into his decree of election. That's not our business. If someone says they're a Christian, but live an ungodly life, then there's discipline that has to be exercised. Absolutely. We have to admonish them. But even then, we can never know whether someone is elect or not. We don't know whether someone will repent in the future and yet be saved from the wrath to come. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to election, don't fall into the trap of looking at other people. That's off limits. That's forbidden territory. Stay within the boundaries. Examine yourself for the fruit of election, not others. Now what's the purpose of this assurance? Why does God give the assurance of election to his children? It's not to puff them up and make them proud of themselves. It's not so that we could be cocky, so that we can go and live however we want. The Canons of Dort rightly says that the person with that attitude is presumptuous. The person who thinks that they're elect and therefore they can live like the devil, that person is falsely secure. They think they're safe, and so no matter what they do, they've got their one-way ticket to paradise. But in reality, they're deceiving themselves. Scripture teaches that people who think that way are not Christians. Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12 verse 14 tells us to strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Look, if you think that election is a license to sin, you're a deluded fool. Not only that, but you're actually heading for hell. You have no security whatsoever in reality. Any assurance you have is a fantasy if you think like that. No one should be assured of election with such wicked and worldly ideas. The assurance of election has the opposite effect for a true Christian. The awareness and assurance of election makes a true Christian humble before God. 
It makes that person adore the depths of God's mercies. You have to remember that God chose us when he knew that we were sinners. He knew us inside and out, warts and all. Theologian Don Carson once put it like this, when he says he loves us, does not God mean something like the following? Morally speaking, you are the people of the halitosis, the bulbous nose, the greasy hair, the disjointed knees, the abominable personality. Your sins have made you disgustingly ugly. But I love you anyway. Not because you are attractive, but because it is my nature to love. And in the case of the elect, God adds, I have set my affection on you from before the foundation of the universe, not because you are wiser or better or stronger than others, but because in grace I chose to love you. You are mine and you will be transformed. Nothing in all creation can separate you from my love mediated through Jesus Christ. Isn't God's electing love amazing? It is humbling and makes us worship him. We know the reality of what we're like and then we see what he's like and what he's done for us and it drops us to our knees. We worship him but we also aim to be who we are as his children. The canons speak of us cleansing ourselves. That's referring to sanctification. The awareness and the assurance of election stimulates us to sanctification. That's the process of growing in a Christian life of holiness. We want to honour the God who showed us so much love and compassion. We want to thank him with our lives. That's how we respond to the assurance of our election. As a further part of that, we fervently love him who first so greatly loved us. The assurance of election leads us to greater love for God. It does something in our hearts. It works the strengthening of our relationship with God. When you know what someone has done for you, when you see love in action, the normal response is to love in return. That's what happens in the lives of God's children. That's where the assurance of election is designed to lead us. That's its purpose, a closer walk with God. Perhaps we're not all that accustomed to thinking about these things, but they are good things to reflect on. If you're a true Christian, then you can and should be sure of your election. But if someone is just a faker, then forget it. Assurance is only for those who, by God's grace, are the real deal. Loved ones, listen to 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And 2 Peter 1 verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and your election sure. Amen.
now call upon God with thankfulness and prayer. Our gracious God and merciful Father, we thank you for the gift of election and the assurance that we can have for our election. And we ask, Lord, that we would have indeed a true faith in Christ and that that would be mirrored in how we live our lives in service to you. Father, we pray that we would have a childlike fear of God and a godly sorrow for sin. We are reminded, Lord, that you are a holy God and that you despise sin. And we ask that the process of sanctification would indeed be visibly evident in our lives, in the way we talk to other people, in the way we talk about other people, in the way we serve you through our work and the use of our time and the resources you have blessed us with. It is our prayer, dear Lord, that we would indeed bear much healthy fruit. Lord, for many, the message this afternoon would have brought comfort, a sense of gratitude and thankfulness for what you have done for us. But there will also be some, Lord, for whom the message was confronting, and we pray that if it is the case, that they would be able to draw near to you and actively seek to know you better and to attain that assurance that can only come through a saving faith in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We know, Lord, that you are in control of all aspects of our lives and that you order all things and that you have power and dominion over all things. And you call us to humble ourselves before you and to depend on you in prayer and the promises you have given us in your word. We ask, Lord, that for each of us it would be our desire to have a closer walk with you. And we know that of our own strength we fall well short. We ask, therefore, that we would know the presence of the Holy Spirit and that we would be carried in that strength. Father, we ask also that you would bless the gospel message as it is proclaimed each week, so that we may be renewed and strengthened in our faith, but also that others may be drawn to you as well, and to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that the gospel message of salvation would continue to go out in our community around us, and that all your people would be gathered in, that you would bring them into the kingdom. And we pray that the efforts of Satan would be curtailed in the world around us. And we pray that we would be protected from his attacks in our homes, in our workplaces, in our places of study, and in our church. And Lord, we ask that we continue building good relationships in our families. Help us to continue in getting to know you better. Be with fathers and mothers as they raise their children in the fear of you and in walking closely with you. And we pray that our church community may also be blessed by you. Help us to grow in faith and love for you and love for one another. Please also grant us unity as brothers and sisters in Christ and help us to build each other up in our service to you. And we thank you that in this regard so many of the youth of our churches could be blessed through attending the recent National Youth Camp. And we give you thanks that our young people could experience a time of fellowship, a time of study and a time of encouragement. We pray that times like these would serve as a blessing to build a closer walk with you and a closer walk as community. Lord, we thank you for the efforts of so many in our church to ensure that things happen smoothly. We're at the start of a new year and soon enough all the committees and Bible study groups will start their work up again for the year. And we pray that you would be with all those involved in different ways and that through their service they would be blessed and be a blessing for others. Father, this afternoon we'll have a collection for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary and we ask that you would bless this collection. We ask that you would bless the money that is given. And Lord, we thank you that we can support this work as a church. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to raise men up to take up the study for the ministry. 
And if there are any in this church considering this course of study, we pray for them. And we ask that you would lead them and guide them in this decision also. We pray also for the professors and the support staff at the college and ask that you would continue to equip and strengthen them for the task that they have. Thank you for the work that is done and the faithfulness of the people who work there. Please allow the Lord that they would be blessed in doing this work also. Please be with us in the coming week in all of our different circumstances. Father, we pray that you would be with us as we commence another week and we ask that our efforts would indeed be blessed by you. Help us to serve you with the right attitude and that we would be grateful for all that you have given us. Please hear us and accept this prayer for the sake of our risen Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. After the taking of the collection this afternoon, which is for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary, we will sing together Psalm 122, the verses 1, 2 and 3.
Lift up your hearts unto God, receive the blessing of the Lord, and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.